Welcome to the Inspire Radio Podcast. This podcast is an opportunity to listen again to one of the many inspirational and thought-provoking interviews first broadcast on Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio brings you inspirational interviews, news of events, workshops and seminars, plus great music too. Online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Inspire Radio is your truly feel-good radio station. For more information and to listen to Inspire Radio, why don't you check out inspireradio.co.uk. Check out our Facebook page too, where we've got details of events on there. Our Facebook page is at Inspire Radio UK. Now sit back and enjoy this Inspire Radio podcast. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome to Inspired Conversations with me, Ruth Owen. Today, my guest is all the way from Florida. Her name is Ambika Devi. And she is, wait for this, a yogi, sage, astrologer, best-selling, award-winning international author, meditation Jedi, professor of magic with a CK, and wizard. And if that weren't enough, she's just launched her online course in Sleep Envy, How to Sleep Better. And that's quite an introduction, Ambika. Welcome. Thank you so much, Ruth. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So with all those titles, tell us, which hat do you prefer to wear? It really doesn't even depend on the day, Ruth. It could be the moment or the hour (laughs) or the quarter hour, because I feel like I am everything from the creator, which is really my favorite. I think that would probably be the thing to ask me is like, what's your favorite hat to wear? Uh, Because it's really when I'm creating, when I can just really get sunken into the project. So even different projects have different kinds of relationships and all kind of like lovers, you know, I get really involved with them and it's really intimate. And when the project is done and I launch it like a book, then there's kind of a postpartum kind of feeling like it was my baby. And so just recently the end sleep envy program that I created, well, that's been three years of desire and imagination and wondering how the heck do I do this? And then I I had the opportunity to take a course to learn how to create something like this. And then I was in a contest. So that gave me a deadline and I got it done last week and launched. Now I'm the help desk and customer service. (laughs) (laughs) So talk us through this course. How do you get people to sleep better? What I'm using in the course is a combination of all of the different tricks and tips I use, because I have to confess to you and all your listeners, I'm a very, very light sleeper. And over the years, I've learned how to make the environment in in such a way that is conducive and supportive of me getting to sleep and staying asleep. So in the course, I give uh, each day a theme idea, and I based it on the elements of chakras. So there's infrastructure of why I laid it out the way I did. 
And then each day I give a basic pranayama exercise. And this is a breathing exercise from the ancient art of yoga. Now, a lot of people think of yoga as exercise, and that's great because the exercise is a big part of it, but so is environment and how to handle your environment, your diet, your sleep habits, uh, what kind of listening you do, what you pay attention to. Uh, there's so many factors and breathing is a huge part because the whole idea of yoga is to get into the meditative state. And once we're able to meditate, when we're from a waking state, we can then learn how to use meditation when we sleep. So there'll most likely be future programs after this, but this is the very basic one because I know so many people who are stressed out who really, really need some help getting to sleep, or there's a big group that wakes up in the night. They're okay that they fall asleep, but then they can't get back to sleep. And I've been on both teams. So all of the things in this course are what I've done. Now, here's something really interesting. When I asked the insomniacs in my life, how much time per day can you spend on this? their average was two to five minutes. So I had to figure out how to pack the information into a quick morning video backed up by the breathing exercise, which was taught in the brief video on an audio track. So once they see it, they can just listen to it and practice whenever they want. Of course, when they're not driving a car or operating any kind of heavy equipment. But you talk about them listening to something in the morning. They're watching a video in the morning. And how will that help them go to sleep that evening? Because that's when I'm teaching them all of the different techniques that I use in my environment. I see. And then that's when I'm introducing a breathing exercise. And then I give them the breathing exercise, a follow along that they don't have to watch in an audio track. And then at night, I give them a different guided meditation each night because different people like different things. So it's likely they'll find hopefully three out of the seven, actually eight, because there's a bonus track uh, that they enjoy and they can work with and they can use it to go to sleep because some people are hot and the heat is an issue. And so I created a cooling breathing exercise and also a very cooling guided meditation. And you've experienced my guided meditation. I have. Uh, Ambika, they were just amazing. <laughs> yes, because we, we did this workshop and then Ambika did this relaxation exercise and we were all lying on the floor and just closing our eyes like Shavasana. And I was gone in about three minutes flat. And when I woke up, everybody had gone home. And I think I must have been on the floor for an hour and, you know, just conked out. That's great. Well, the the whole idea of guided meditation is really for relaxation. It's a launch possibility. But I find when I'm listening to a guided meditation, I usually fall asleep unless I'm really in the zone. Uh, It can launch you into the meditative state, which would be your body is fully relaxed, but then the mind is fully awake and aware. But most people, they find they fall asleep. So I thought, why not mix in some of the hypnosis training that I had way back and merge it with yoga nidra, which is the guided meditation style that I use. And by combining them, I find that it works really, really well to help people to sleep. 
And I've done custom recordings for people over the years, working with them one-on-one and recording specific sessions for them, for their needs. Maybe they wanted to quit a habit or start a habit so I can inceptively put that in. But for this, it is all about sleeping comfortably and sleeping through the night. And why do you think it is that so many people struggle with getting a decent night's sleep and feeling rested when they wake up? I feel like there's a few factors, Ruth. One major one is the media that they're taking in. You know, watching the news is enough to keep you up. And I think we put so much on ourselves. We stress ourselves out with so much shooting of how we should be, what we should do, what we should get done, all these goals, all these things we have to do. And, and then we're trying to keep up with what the media is telling us we're supposed to be. And I don't know about you, but back earlier this year in 2020, when we all had to get locked down, it got really, really quiet. And unless you were stressing out about what's next, hopefully you got a sense of what it was like when it's quiet and there, there aren't a lot of demands on you. But I know that created a great deal of stress for people and it still is because they're trying to figure out how do I go forward? You know, so many people have lost their jobs. And uh, so I felt like creating a program to help them rest was the best thing I could contribute. And you've done so many things, Ambika, up to this point that you can draw on all your many, many talents in many different areas. So so which one do you think is your soul's calling or are all of the things that you're incredibly qualified in? Do they go up to make the Ambika that we see and hear today? I think they all combine and if I'm a wheel, they're all sectors or pieces of pie. And at different points, I might grab from a few different places. For instance, in my books, I love making the covers and doing the artwork for them. And uh, I think if you talk to one of the bigger publishing houses, they think that's insane. But I'm inspired. Do you remember Joni Mitchell? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Love Joni Mitchell. I love Joni Mitchell. And she did all of her artwork on all of her albums. So I thought, why not? Why can't I? And when I was making my first book, Lilith, I got to the place where my publisher, because I had a publisher at the time, said, okay, it's time to discuss book cover. So I, ha- I wrote out, I think, three pages of description of what I wanted the book cover to look like. And he looked at it and said, we can't do this. And I said, well, I can. And he said, OK, well, then you do it. So I did. So you're an artist as well. Yes, I went to art school. I graduated in 1982 from university. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But how do you manage to do it all? And, and astrologer and yogi and, and, and you're a professor of magic with CK. At a proper school, which sounds like Hogwarts. It is. It's called the Gray School of Wizardry. That's G-R-E-Y, if you want to look it up. And it is a school of wizardry. And we do teach various aspects of magic. And I am the dean of faculty. So if you're interested in being a faculty member, you can find me and write to me and let me know. That sounds such fun, going to a real (laughs) wizard school. (laughs) And uh, we have 16 departments. 
And I am the dean of two of them, Psychic Arts, where I wrote a major that I just published in March of 2020. So I've completed uh, seven courses that I wrote. And then at the level after that, the first two are actually first level. And those teach the core practices of psychic arts, but they're also really important for all of the other departments. And then uh, I wrote through the sixth level and at the seventh level, my apprentices do a practicum. So it's think of senior project or you know, independent study. So this is where they get to move out and this gives them a journeyman wizardry certificate. And what do your graduates, uh, your students, what do they do when they go out into the world with their magic and wizardry? Well, they actually start while they're in it because every year we have challenges. For instance, we have a pretty heavy duty Earth Day challenge where we encourage them to go out in the world and do things for the environment especially locally in their own neighborhoods. We teach them to be of service. You know, it's really not that different from what I learned living in an ashram about being a good person and being a good member of society and doing what we yogis call seva, which is selfless service. Uh, Wizards are wise people. That's to me where that word came from, whiz and wise. And they listen and they, they help, they're helpers. And for me, it was just a lovely, easy transition. And so in working on a PhD, which I've been doing uh, in meditation ever since I received my master's in yoga, I convinced my professor that I would write this curriculum program for this school. And at first he thought, no. <laughs> and then As I started writing and showing him what I was working on, he said, okay, yes, this makes sense. You know, it's a way to teach yoga to a a whole group of people that would be turned off maybe by the idea of the word yoga or not understand it for whatever reason. Just like a proper ashram, the wizardry school embraces all spiritual paths. You don't have to be one or the other. So it really, to me, is kind of like another sector of yoga. How amazing. And yeah. so who do you actually reach out? Who, who do your students reach out to, you know, to, to go and do their good work in their community? It really depends on, on what they're doing. Um, for instance, our dean of students who runs our healing department is an EMT. So he's doing emergency medical rescue. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have an environmental department that is concerned with the environment. We have a lore and bardic arts department. So writers, writing, and we have a performing magic department who I just hired the coolest magician for. Uh, He's a bubble magician. (laughs) What's one of those? He does magic with bubbles, with soap bubbles. It's absolutely cool. I would love to see that. That must be amazing. Yeah, his name is River Barry. He's a proper magician and his bubble work is phenomenal. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've seen magicians do it where they blow smoke into the bubbles or, yeah, yeah, I tried to squeeze some info out of him. (laughs) Apparently it's right up there with window washers. They don't want to give you their soap bubble formula. It's so annoying, isn't it? (laughs) If only I knew what the heck those glass cleaners used. I know. Yeah. 
because uh, it's, it's never the same when you do it yourself, is it? You know, you, you, if you do, if you keep up in between, yes. But uh, I would really like to know that formula. I, I got some insight, but I still haven't mixed it exactly like they do it. <laughs> tell me about intuition. Do you think that we all have access to intuition at some level? And what makes somebody more open to using their intuition than somebody else? Absolutely. I feel like we are all born with magical skills and a variety of things take it out of us. For instance, little kids, they'll have imaginary play friends and that could very well be the Fae, you know? Living in the UK, you you definitely embrace that probably more than <laughs> yeah. most of the culture here in the United States. But when I was little, if I said to my mom that I, I saw something, she always said, okay, here, here's some crayons, draw a picture. You know, so she got yeah. me into the creative thing and never, ever said no to me. She always just took it in. And if I wanted to experiment in something, she was supportive. And when I was seven, we used to go to the bookstore, even when I was littler. But I remember when I was seven, uh, I was still going and listening to stories and things like that at the bookstore. We would go every week. She loved books. So that's obvious why I became a writer, because I wanted to do something she liked, I think. And I really loved it, too. She always had a giant uh, dictionary in our dining area, and she would go over and reference it. And we would learn words during meals and or we'd have a discussion about a better word to use. And she led book groups. But this one trip to the bookstore, I walked out of the kids area and into the adult area and to the back because it was the one day of the month I was allowed to pick something to bring home, but it had to be a book. And I went for the shelf and I, I remember it was a black box and it had cellophane on it. It was before shrink wrap. And I pulled it down and I held it and she came and she looked at it and she said, mm, I don't think so. Let's go back to the kids section. She put it back and we went back and I walked back out straight along. I remember the way the bookshelves looked and just the different feeling in the adult section. And I went back to the shelf, pulled it down. Well, I did it a third time. And on the third time she said, well, are you sure this is what you really want? And I said, yes. And it was a deck of tarot cards that came with a book and it, it fulfilled the deal. It had a book. So she bought me my first deck of tarot cards. She didn't ever read them. Uh, she said that she peeked through my open door when we got home to see what I was up to with them and that I unwrapped it. I fanned through the book, stopped for a moment, looked at a page, put the book on the shelf and then sat down on the floor and started playing with the cards. So you had some innate knowledge or intuition about what they meant and what, what they meant to you. Yep. And I started reading for other people pretty soon after that. And I've done professional tarot reading all my life. It's kind of my back pocket gypsy anywhere thing I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of remind me of a gypsy. <laughs> I have to say you're not the first one who said that. <laughs> do you sing round campfires as well? I definitely do and tell stories. Okay, tell us one of your favorite stories. Well, it's it's October, so I have ghost stories. Yeah, tell us a Would ghost Would you like story. a ghost story? Love that. 
Ah, so back when I was studying astrology with my second mentor, which was Barbara Shear, she was a super famous astrologer in the Bay Area in California back in the 60s and 70s. And I had the pleasure of meeting her. When she started teaching me, she said, mm, I think Narlands would be a really interesting place for you to go. And she was the first one who introduced me to what astrologers call astrocartography or locational astrology. And my parents were foodies and I was living in Arizona at the time and they were living in Florida and we decided to meet up in New Orleans for a trip. Perfect. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I really, really wanted to stay in the French Quarter, but they had gotten a hotel just outside of the French Quarter, just across the major bordering street. So it was kind of in it. But then I found out that this particular hotel indeed had its hauntings because the French Quarter is notorious for all kinds of things like witchcraft and vampires and Voodoo. ghosts and yeah. And people that are still here that maybe have crypts in Cemetery One. And <laughs> I always love when I go to a, a city to go on historic walking tours. Oh, you should come to York. That is just magic. Oh, it? I would yeah. love to watch it. I might not leave. <laughs> and uh, because now I am free to relocate, but uh, with what's going on in the world, it will be a little bit of a delay, uh, but I would love to. So if someone wants to adopt me and bring me to York, please reach out. Because <laughs> I love the UK. I was in Scotland last year, but back to New Orleans. So it was our first night there. And we went to a little restaurant that had a live band. And I had decided that I would go on a walking tour that night, but not just any historic walking tour. It was going to be a ghost walking tour. So after dinner, my parents were kind of tired from traveling and they went back to the hotel and I headed out to Reverend Zombie's Voodoo Shop where I purchased my ticket. You have to love that name. It's still there, everybody. And uh, I went outside and Everybody was gathering for the tours and there were different leaders. So it wasn't just one tour. There were different leaders. And suddenly I felt like I was up for adoption and I was getting chosen by the leader. So I got picked by this group leader named Renee and all these other groups started heading out in different directions. And he said, we're just going right up here, right up the street. And at first I thought, oh, you know, we're just going up the street. You know, what's the fun in that? <laughs> Well, we went to Pat O'Brien's bar and we walked through an alcove and into a grand courtyard. So as we walked through the alcove, we could see diners on the one side and there was a, a bridge of, of the building over the alcove as we came out into the courtyard. And he gathered us around in a very large semicircle and proceeded to tell us the story of Pat O'Brien's property, that it had an owner back in time who had had a fight with his wife and he was pointing up at the third floor of the building and explaining it. And oh, he was fantastic. He was, he was dressed in a period costume, but all of a sudden I felt like I wasn't really hearing his voice anymore, but I was actually seeing what was happening. I saw the man, I saw the wife, I saw him hit her. And then 
he dragged her down the stairs. And then he grabbed a shovel outside the door and he grabbed her body and yanked her and dragged her across the courtyard. And there I'm standing and I'm starting to feel this chill like you hear about in all kinds of ghost stories. And and it's as if they went right through me. And then I turned around and right then Renee came up to me. And he got right in my face because I, I think he realized I wasn't paying attention. And he said, and then what happened next? And I said, and then Renee, he dragged her right through here and he started digging with a shovel. And he put her in the hole and Renee leaned in and he said, and then what happened? And then he was covering it with dirt, but oh no. And Renee said, what? But she wasn't dead. Oh, no. And the whole crowd looked at me like, how the heck did she know? Come on, she must have been on this tour before. But it was my first time in New Orleans. And when I travel somewhere, I do very little research because I want to take it in. I'm actually a retro reader about where I've been to learn more. Or maybe while I'm there, after I see something, then I'll read about it. A little kid had walked over to me when I was telling that story to Renee and looking up at me, encouraging me on. And then as we walked from that site to the next site, he just wanted to be with me. He must have been about 12 years old. And he was asking me all sorts of questions. And we got to the next site. And it happened to be a place that was related to one of the great fires that burned New Orleans to the ground. A couple of tragic fires. Well, the interesting thing is I was picking up on both fires from the property. And as Renee was telling the story, I was picking up on the more recent one. But then I also understood why that one happened from the original one. And as Renee's telling the story, of course, the little boy comes over and he's like, tell them, tell them, Ambika. And everybody's like, yes, you know what? Because I had, you know, pulled that one off at the last place. And uh, Renee said, okay, you know, what have you got? And I shared that uh, I had picked up, uh, there's a tea room. I'd have to go back to my notes to remember the name of the tea room, but it, it was owned by a man and he had slaves. I don't think he had a wife at the time and curtains had come blowing in the window and caught on fire from candles. And so I nailed it. And that was the story Renee had been telling. But then I said, but, but wait, and everybody whipped around and looked. I said, but what I'm picking up, Renee, is that this is sacred ground to the natives of this land, to the Native Americans, and that there were sacred burial mounds. And I pointed in the direction of where I was sensing them. And they kept fires going all the time. And he said, that is exactly correct. Oh, really? So then it became a game on that ghost tour. Renee would tell the story and everybody would look to me to finish the story. And there was a guy who uh, actually was from the UK and we're walking to it. It was also a pub crawl, even though there was a 12 year old. Hey, it's New Orleans. And uh, we were going to stop at our first watering hole, uh, our first pub rest stop. And this gent came up and he sat down at the table with me and he pulled a card out of his shirt pocket and slapped it down on the table. He said, okay, Miss Psychic, tell me what I do for a living. And I thought, oh goodness, I was so not ready for all this tonight. <laughs> and 
this idea flashed in my mind and I thought may as well just go with what comes in my mind. And I said, not even knowing if these existed in the UK, I said, CPA, certified public accountant. And he went pale and he turned his card over and he was a CPA, my public accountant. So I thought, wow, back to my teacher, Barbara, I thought you are darn correct that New Orleans is a very interesting place to visit. And then I did go back more times and I did visit Rene because he was very involved in period recreating the Society of Creative Anachronism. And he had gone out in the bayou in the swamps and collected bunches of cannonballs from years and years back. And he wanted me to hold them to see if I could tell him where they came from. I had never done what I am about to tell you. I said, give me something to write with. And he gave me paper and a pen and I started automatic drawing. I drew pictures like I've never drawn before in a style I've never drawn before of ships, of sailboats. And I named them and I even gave him the manifestos of who was on the ships. So I, I lost track of him. I don't know what became of all of that, but it was a most interesting afternoon. So, so these were, were literally downloads coming through you onto the paper and, and telling the story as, as it just came through you. That is correct. And can you learn that? Can you learn to do that, do you think? I believe that you can. And I believe it's a lot easier the younger you are because the older we get, the more the ego mind gets in the way. But if you practice meditation and you learn to be in the witness state, you have a greater possibility of identifying that's my ego mind or that's true consciousness because I believe it's consciousness. And in the Far Eastern mystery schools, we see consciousness as anchored to the throat chakra, Vishuddha chakra. So consciousness is a very interesting thing in the East, different than the West. And I relate to it so much more that it's almost like a wormhole that goes into us. You know, if you watch outer space shows Mm -hmm. or movies, like a strange uh, wormhole or tube of energy. And the fascinating thing about our throat area is we have to use air, which is the element of the heart space, to bring the sound vibration out of the throat and out of the mouth, but then it circulates back into our ears. This is a phenomenal area. So to me, when I try to see it, I don't think I can draw it because it's multidimensional. It's kind of inside out and right side out and wormhole. Um, So when people say download to me, I'm imagining information coming in from space. Uh, Space is the element that doesn't decompose. And the other of the five elements of the gross elements, which would be air, fire, water, and earth, going down through the chakras from the throat, they all come from space. Space, the word is akasha. So we hear people say akashic about akashic records. Well, it's akasha, it's space, it doesn't decompose. Everybody has the opportunity to tap into it. That's fascinating. Um, I recently was talking to somebody about the akashic records and for a long time, I, I think I thought you had to have some kind of special training to access the Akashic records. But she was saying that everybody has that ability. Absolutely. 
But tell us, in your words, what, what the Akashic Records actually are. Well, to me, it's space. People, people that talk about it, I think, have uh, different ideas. Um, first of all, where do you go when you dream, Ruth? Oh, well, there's, there's a million-dollar question. Right? So isn't that space? I mean, you're not your body anymore. You let go of it, right? You're in a dream body, but who's doing the walking and talking? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm seeing out of my dream body's eyes, and sometimes I'm watching me. Mm-hmm. Now, the watching me is more the witness state, for sure. And sometimes I flip back and forth. I don't know if you've done that as well. And sometimes I feel like I'm other beings. I've learned uh, from another one of my great astrology teachers to begin to identify beings or icons in dreams as planetary information. And then I'll check with what's transiting us in the sky to see ah, that, you know, maybe I'll see a character that reminds me of uh, Mercury or Saturn or Jupiter. Uh, I actually had a very clear dream years ago where all three were sitting at a bar and there was a bartender and all four were planetary icons. And it was fascinating because they were so clearly depicting a personification of these planetary characteristics. But there was one dream I had, and it was also walking into a space that very well could have been that same bar, but a being walked out of the wall and opened the wall up and I went in there and it was like a divine space, Ruth. There were, it looked like gods and goddesses floating on pillows, playing instruments. Uh, A lot of what we would associate with uh, Hindu icons, but uh, even beyond that, because, it was so phenomenal and everything was such a bright white. It was beyond white, shiny marble, the way it was shining, uh, glossy, almost like icing. And there were tools and instruments and they were laid out on the wall. And this being who I identified as Shiva, but he was a very white, marbly looking version of himself, extremely tall. He motioned for me to choose something off the wall. And I went and grabbed this big staff that had a very unusual hook on it. And uh, I've got some books that explain the different icons of statues and paintings. And I identified it as a tool that's used to drive elements, uh, elephants, but it was a very fancy version of this tool. It had all kinds of gold lettering on the staff and the blade was gold. And I looked at him and said, you know, with my eyes, is this okay? You know, can I choose this? And he kind of smiled at me like a loving uh, elder and let me know good choice. And I had other dreams about that tool, completely different, but where that tool would be with me in the dream since then. So I'm always kind of keeping my dream eye out for that. Uh, I think we all have this ability. You know, people tell me, I don't dream. Yes, you do. Everybody does. It's about remembering it. And one of the things I teach my students who are beginning to look at dreaming and working with dreaming is the first thing you've got to do is have a dream buddy. 
and you have to have a dream journal. Because if you're not writing down your dreams and you're not telling them to someone, then your brain and the psyche are going to think, well, this isn't as important. We'll keep space for other stuff. So if if you acknowledge your dreams, are you saying that they then become more relevant to your life and more helpful if you pay attention to them? I believe so, yes. And, And case in point, you've bought a new car, right? Mm-hmm. sometime in your life. Yeah. And before you bought the new car, were you already thinking that was the car you wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And you started to think, well, I want it in this particular color. So then you start to think about that car in that color. And then as you're driving in traffic, do you see that car over and over and over again in all that color? I'm all the time. You yeah. see what I'm saying? I mean, this is why vision boards work, but you've got to pay attention to them and you've got to interact with them. I've had about three or four really, really prophetic visionary dreams when I was going through something very, very traumatic. And each one of them was exactly right. And it was a message that I needed to hear. And it came to pass just as it had in the dream, not not in the exact form, but the feelings and the messages were exactly right. But since then, I, I can't remember dreams. And, and even if I do remember, it's always very fleeting. And this, it's like trying to grab hold of smoke, you know, they, it sort of mm. slips through your fingers. So how do you train yourself to remember? Most people will find it easier to recall if as soon as you get the sensation that you're awakening, you keep your eyes closed. If you pop your eyes open, and especially if there's light in your surroundings, that will wipe it out. So the first thing we have to train ourselves to do is awaken slowly and gently and to keep the eyes closed. And I try to remain very, very still and then have your dream journal nearby. Because if you're the kind that awakens in the night and remembers one, It's going to be tricky to tell yourself to remember it, go back to sleep, have more dream sequences, and then go back to remember that one. It can be done, but I do recommend having something nearby to write with. Uh, And then even if you just remember one single thing, maybe a door or color or some words, write them down and smile. I was just watching a video yesterday about abundance And in it, the lesson was to thank money every time you're paying for something. And, you know, why aren't we teaching children that? I don't know. Uh, Why aren't we doing all sorts of things with children? Meditation, (laughs) yoga. Right. There's so many things uh, I believe we could have been taught when we were very young that would have been so helpful for this world. And the whole idea, you know, we, ad- we adopt the behavior and the patterns of the people who raise us. And so some of us have to unlearn that stuff and teach ourselves new ways of being. So I just think that's brilliant to, to be grateful, not just when it comes in, but to be grateful that when we're giving it out. Yes. I mean, that, that little yeah, concept it, right there can be so helpful. Yeah, because it's all circular, isn't it? Absolutely. And to be grateful, I've got this so I can give this to you and you can give me the goods or service. And, you know, we're, we're all winning. I think that really shows our interconnection. And uh, the school where I'm teaching at Gray School, we use Cicero's quote, 
everything is alive, everything is interconnected. And I just adore that quote, because if we really pay attention to that on a daily basis, I believe we can have a lot more happiness. And just to round up today's interview, and it's been fascinating, I, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, <laughs> my, my particular be in the bonnet I have at the moment is I'm sure there's so much more energy coming into the earth plane at the moment. You know, this being such a huge year in terms of the stellium at the beginning of the year oh. and, and Jupiter <laughs> and, and Saturn and Pluto all doing their thing in a major, major way this year. Oh, it's not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> Please forgive me, everybody. But um, yes, we, we had three major, major planets in Capricorn in retrograde at the same time. We had five planets in retrograde at the same time, including Mars and and Venus, which is a, I don't usually say rare, you know, people say, ooh, supermoon, that's perigee, everybody. That's when something's closer to the earth. There's perigee and apogee and uh, perihelion and aphelion, if you're talking about the sun. So let's get our astronomical terms correct. And uh, now that we've got these outer planets who were retrograde in Capricorn, moving forward once again, and they retrograde every year, but they don't usually do it in such a tight cluster in the sign like Capricorn. Now we've got Mars. You know, Mars uh, has been doing a number on us. He was just opposite the sun the other day. They're both fiery. We just had a Libra new moon. Uh, this would be a lay low kind of period for the next couple of weeks. So I wouldn't push it too hard and just try to clean up things that uh, maybe went a bit amok over the last few weeks. And then we're going to end the year with a solar eclipse and uh, a full moon. Mercury is retrograde right now. So he'll go, he'll start to go direct um, in early November. So there's still a lot of backtracking. We can see it in politics around the world. We can see it in science around the world. There will be discoveries. I know this in 2021, a lot of information will be blown open, but right now it's best to just keep your hands out of it and try not to get too much media input because I don't want you to lose sleep over it. You know, really take care of you, build your immune system, build your happiness level, watch funny movies and shows and read things that are lighter. I know I told a ghost story earlier, but uh, I want you to just be careful what kinds of things you put into you. I, I will tell you in the years that I did some high level ghost hunting with equipment and infrared and the whole thing, it took years to get that out of my system. It's freaky stuff. So just be careful, everybody. Be gentle with yourselves. That's very, very good words. Be gentle with yourselves <laughs> and get some good sleep. Yes, please. I'm here to help. Excellent. Well, we'll put your details on the, um, on the link in the information for Inspire Radio. But Absolutely. Where can, they, where can they find you if they want to consult with you or, or ask you advice about something? Uh, you can find me at Ambika's Codex, which is A-M-B-I-K-A-S, and then Codex, C-O-D-E-X. I've got all my services. I've got my new course and Sleep Envy there, and I've got 
free opportunities for you. Uh, you'll be able to find my YouTube channel with lots of free information. And from there, you'll be able to also find me on Instagram at Consult Ambika. Fantastic. Well, you've got so much to offer, Ambika. You, you've got fingers in all sorts of pies and you are absolutely <laughs> expert in all of them. So she, she comes highly qualified and highly recommended. So check her out. Ambika Devi, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such fun. Oh, thank you, Ruth. I adore you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Be happy. Be inspired. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Maybe you would like to join us as a guest on Inspire Radio. Maybe you'd like to feature on our Inspire Radio directory. If you would and you'd like to get in touch, then simply enter your details on the contact page at inspireradio.co.uk. Remember to give our Facebook page a like as well, at Inspire Radio UK. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Inspire Radio. And have the best day you possibly can. Be happy, be inspired. The Inspire Radio podcast is produced and presented by the team at Inspire Radio. Copyright applies. For more information about Inspire Radio, visit inspireradio.co.uk or if you'd like to download our free app for the Android phone, just go to your Google Play Store and search for Inspire Radio. With feel-good music by day, relaxing music by night, this is Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired.